we saw at the end of Luke 5, Jesus says to Simon in verse number, at the end of verse number 10 here in Luke 5, he said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now we come to verse 12, and it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. This, um, this miracle is recorded in multiple different passages. And in fact, if you look back at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, go ahead back in verse number 40 of Mark chapter 1, come back to Luke, but we see the same miracle paralleled in Mark's account. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus Move with compassion. That's a that's a part of the story that we didn't get in Luke's gospel. This idea that Jesus, his motivation for the healing is he's moved with compassion. It says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him forthwith and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, see, see thou sayest nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. So there's another detail here, a little more specificity. Did you catch it? A little more detail in Mark's account than Luke's account? Who saw it? So first we saw the one aspect of Jesus being moved with compassion. wasn't recorded in Luke's gospel, but there's a second part, second thing here, key detail. That, yeah, that it was the leper. We found out later that, we did see in Luke's gospel, rather, that Jesus told the leper, but still news got out. However, in Mark's gospel, it's clear it was the leper who let the news out and didn't, did, didn't listen, did it? So yeah, those are a couple of key details here. Is that the same thing you were going to point out, Charlie? Yeah. So I, I don't think there's any other differences. Those are the ones that, uh, that I noticed couple of things here to talk about, but let's, let's pray together. We'll ask the Lord to bless our, our study together. Lord, I thank you that we have this time to look into the Word of God. I pray that we would each be encouraged by it, and that you'd uh, show us what, uh, what we need to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a couple of things that always, uh, that we'll say just by way of Bible study, kind of understanding how to study the Bible, if, you, if you're back in Luke's gospel here, you see he goes from 
this miracle that we just read about, and it ended in verse number 16, and then in verse number 17, we go to another miracle. We're trying to do these chronologically. What's interesting, though, is this, that the different gospel narratives, the different gospel narratives line some of the miracles up a little bit differently, okay? Now, if you study carefully and you compare them, you'll see that, that, well, this one puts this in this order. There's, there's sometimes things are moved around. So what do we think about that? First off, what, what do the skeptics sometimes think about that? What do the skeptics sometimes say? Huh? Like it's a, yeah, like a contra. Yeah, like it's an error here. Or maybe that, uh, you know, they can't get their story straight. They don't worry. Char- So explain that a little bit, a little good and loud for people to hear. So what do you what do you mean by that? No, I'm like I like the I like a little give and take in here. So it's good for people to know that that we all we're all students of the Bible, right? So like I am no I would I would love for somebody to come into a into a class like this and have more insight on a passage than than I do. But what were you what were you referring to? Well, I'm getting at is that today in our culture now we are very factually driven and Chronological would be uh, important, and, and uh, yeah, it goes back to Joe Friday on Dragnet. Just the facts, yeah, ma'am. Exactly. Just the facts. And, and, and in that day, well, much of it was oral, so it wasn't there wasn't a guy there, the newspaper reporter, writing things down as they happened. Right. So it was just more of a descriptive type of um, literary. Exactly. The purpose. It's not just the Bible, anybody. It, right, and I think that's important. The cultural context is important because when anybody sat down to tell the story, their primary concern wasn't explaining to you the order of events. Sometimes it was, and if they did, they they made that clear. But in the gospel narrative, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they each have a different point they're trying to emphasize about Jesus, and their goal isn't to set forth. A, while it's historical for sure, there's no doubt that historical accuracy was important. It's not that accuracy wasn't important, but to them, they weren't focused on the sequence, the chronology, and those things. That wasn't, that wasn't important in the culture of the day and in the writings of the day. So like Charlie said, the, the scholars who would say that, that's, that's a very superficial level of skepticism. Like th- those, those are people who've not there are better skeptics than that. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> if you want to be a skeptic, you can do a better job than that. Um, but they're ve- that's very, if anybody challenges you on that, that is just so easily dismissed. Um, and so, so don't be uncomfortable with that when you see things in different orders and things like that. Um, so what some scholars have done is they've, they've looked at the gospel accounts and they've tried to piece together what's called a harmony of the gospels. And you can read that actually. There are, you can even go on like the, the Version Bible app and get on a reading plan that'll give you a harmony of the Gospels. If you want to read it in what we believe to be probably the most precise chronological order, that's, that's a worthwhile endeavor to do that. Um, yeah, so don't, so I guess my point was don't let those kind of things trouble you. Did somebody else have a, a comment or something on that? I thought I saw a hand or two. Or... I was just going to pick you know, college we had a course that was the Gospels, right? We went through Baker's Harmony of the Gospels. Yeah. It was a, a super old yeah. Uh, rendition of it, but it was really neat to see, you know, different passages throughout all four books and uh, how they correlated. And you could see that uh, 
chronologically, it gave you an understanding of how the events would have played out, but uh, the writer's intent, just like Charles uh, was saying, was slightly different in right. the context in which the event took place. Exactly. And even some of those harmonies of the Gospels, those people will disagree about certain points of timing, but it's interesting. Um, and I, and I think helpful to do that, especially when you get to John's gospel, because John's gospel records things that nobody else recorded. I think the oral tradition is important too, because the got the first gospel, the first gospel um, wasn't written. It was probably the Gospel of Mark, and it it, it, was, it was written maybe fifteen twenty years after the events had all taken place. So they weren't sitting down. Um, in fact, the people who were most precise about it would be Matthew and Luke. Their Gospels are focused on the most precision and detail. But anyway, just uh, some thoughts on that. So as you see this, as we look at it chronologically, just kind of make a note of that. And if you're following, maybe you do a little extra Bible study on your own and you line these things up. But there's actually a couple of miracles in between what we're reading today in Luke, uh, verse number 12 through 16, and then what we see in verse 17. There's a um, couple of miracles in between in between those verses. Anyhow, that was just a little kind of a footnote for us this morning. So a couple of things. Obviously, the theme of this is the man being healed from leprosy. Um, then there's also, and we're going we're gonna to spend most of our time talking about the, the, the healing of, of leprosy and, and the significance of that. But before we get there, there's also this command of Jesus not to tell anyone. Now that happens, that, that occurs a few times in the miracles where Jesus will say, don't tell anybody that. Don't, why, what is the idea? And then the guy can't help it. I mean, yeah, he was disobedient. You know, he's been healed of leprosy. I mean, did he get a pass? I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand in judgment of the guy. But anyhow, he, um, he does. He goes and, and tells, tells everybody. Why did, why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody? Yep. Yeah, he's got to. He's got to. He can't be among the people. Exactly what what happened in the story. Why else? Is this is this um, happening? Yeah. At one point, he he does say, "My time has not yet come." So Jesus had a the Father and the Son had a plan for revealing Christ to the people, and it was important to Jesus that. He didn't just attract, it was inevitable, but it was important that they didn't only attract crowds because of the healings and the miracles and people that would want to come. And we, we would see later on that would be a problem is that they would want to um, just eat the food. You know, they, they, oh, he gave us bread. Maybe he'll give us more. And so, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? On the don't, don't tell anybody? I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I had a really hard time understanding that. And I, I think when you're young, it's harder to think in abstract terms, right? And I'm like, why would he not just tell everybody? Just hurry up, get to the point, you know, here it is. But he had a plan and a time and a purpose for all that. All right. So the man is, I, I do have some notes. You, you do not. I didn't hand out any notes today, but if you'd like to jot some things down, we're going to follow a theme here. Leprosy in the Bible, and I'm going to make this case this morning. As you see this man with leprosy, you're going to see in the scripture that leprosy is a picture, it's, it's a type of sin and the destructiveness of sin, the harmfulness of sin, um, and really the, the consequences of sin. And so leprosy was mentioned 
multiple times. So let me ask you this. What, what is leprosy? What was the disease of leprosy? Huh? Yeah. So leprosy is a skin disease. Now in the Bible, when you read about leprosy, it's a very, like we have a, a specific definition of leprosy today right? And there still is. Leprosy has been almost completely eradicated, but there still are places where leprosy appears. And it's basically a type of degenerative skin disease where the, where the, the skin um, and the flesh begins to, to rot away. Now, in the Bible, though, when you read about leprosy, it was not such a definitive disease. And probably leprosy probably leprosy referred to a multitude of different skin disorders and problems that people would have. But there was definitely a very severe form that would eventually result in the death of the person. It was a terrible, terrible thing. So some of you may know this too. So that's the, that's the disease of leprosy. But leprosy had some personal and social effects on a person's life, right? Like if you got sick with the fever or you were infirmed with something else, you would, you know, you'd be laid up in your bed, people would care for you. But what was the, the problem with leprosy is it was incredibly contagious. And so it spread on contact or near contact. And there was, uh, there was great fear, but also great warning given in, even in the Jewish law. So what were, you tell me, what were some of the the personal and social effects that leprosy would have on a person. Yeah, they were not allowed to. They were not allowed to be near people. So it had become the custom of the day where you, they had to to declare declare their uncleanness, you know, and they had to walk on the other side of the street or whatever. They were quarantined. Right? They were isolated. They, they could only live in colonies of other people with leprosy. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I mean, but, but whatever well they went to, they may have had their own well. I, I don't know that, actually. That's a good point. They had their own communities, though, and they would sometimes live in small groups and um, with each other. You, you find that elsewhere that, that they would bond together to try to eke out a survival. So it was, it, not only were they dealing with this physical disease, but the social and psychological effects of this were just devastating. Yeah, you were an outcast of society. Yeah, no way of making an income. Priest will declare you uh, unclean, if that's my understanding is correct. Yep. They found like one little whatever it was on your clothing, then you were like, dude. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it, it was when you, if you were found to have leprosy, it was a life changing event and just devastating. Not just for you, for your family, because you, you had to be separated from your family. Complete and utter separation from your community, from your family, and then also from worship. You could not go to the tabernacle. You couldn't go to the temple. It, 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 that was not possible. So 
And then, if you were cleansed, did you notice in this passage where Jesus says to him that he had to go and show himself to a priest and offer for thy cleansing? What would have to happen with that in, in this passage here? You would have to, if you felt that you'd been healed, up, oh, it's gone, clear, I'm clear. It was, like Lane said, it was a priest that had to declare that, but you also had to give an offering. And it was a trespass offering, actually. It was a sin offering. So let's look back, actually. Go to Leviticus 14. We don't study Leviticus a lot. But Leviticus would declare the, the specific laws for Israel. 14. Yep, 14. Leviticus 14. And Leviticus 14 is, is just literally part of the, the law regarding people who had leprosy. If you look at Leviticus 14.1, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. The day of his cleansing. Now, there's so much we could read here. Um, Go back, actually, to chapter 13. I mean, it's, it's just crazy um, how specific it gets. Like, look at verse, look back in 13, look at verse number 29. If a man or woman have a plague on the head or the beard, then the priest shall see the plague, and behold, if it be in the sight... Deeper than the skin, if there be yellow, thin hair, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a dry skull, even a leprosy upon the head of the beard. And if the priest look on the plague of the skull, and behold, it be not in sight deeper than the skin, and that there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up him that hath the plague of the skull seven days. And in the seventh day, that's a fun waiting period, right? Waiting for the test results to come. And in the seventh day, the priest shall look on the plague, and behold, as the skull spread not, and there be in it no yellow hair, and the skull be not deeper in sight deeper than the skin, it shall be shaven. And if you do shave, you don't shave, etc. Verse 35, but if the skull spread much in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall look on him, and behold, if the skull be spread in the skin, the priest shall not seek for yellow hair. He is unclean. Verse number 45. Let's skip down to verse number 45. We've got some folks coming in. If we could get somebody to, to help them out, that would be awesome. Go ahead, Lane. Thank you. Verse 45. Verse 45 now. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, here it is, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. So it's here specifically commanded everything that you just described. Now, again, there's more. There's seven-day rules, and they, they have a, a, an opportunity um, Their clothes would be unclean. Verse 58, 
and the garment, either warp or woof, or whatsoever thing of skin it be, which thou shalt wash. If the plague be departed from it, then it shall be washed the second time, shall be clean. This is the law of the plague of leprosy. And a garment of woolen or linen, either in the warp or woof, or anything of skins, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. There's chapters. Now it goes into chapter 14. So like if you're an Israelite, like to us, this is like kind of some abstract thing for other times, but they were like very thoroughly aware of all of this. And so there was the scriptural command, unclean, this person is unclean. Now, now here's, the, here's what Jesus was telling the, the, the man to do in this passage in Leviticus 14.1. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look. And behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is cleansed two birds, alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them, and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water and he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. It, it goes more about washing and washing. Verse 10, and on the eighth day, he shall take two he lambs without blemish a ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three deals of fine flour for a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. And the priest and the priest shall make him that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall take the one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the, right, upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And so you see that there's this, uh, and then there's an anointing with oil. Verse 18, and the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall pour on the head of him that is to be cleansed. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall make, uh, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar. And the priest shall make an atonement for him and he shall be clean. Okay. Probably don't read that a lot in your morning devotions. Those passages. Okay. But we took the time to read them this morning. Kind of interesting. Right? What types of offerings are being made for this cleansing? Did you notice there what types of offerings are being made? What the words there used are? Who noticed what kind of offerings are being made there? Sin offering. Somebody said another word. It was atonement. Trespass offering. Right? Yeah, that, that, yeah like a, 
the heave offering, a wave offering. These offerings are usually associated with what? Yeah, sin, trespass. Does this mean that the person had sinned and that's why that they're, they're a leper? Then what? Well, you say no, but then why is he giving a sin or a trespass or, or an atonement offering? That's that. So that's the one that would be one interpretation here to say, well, it must be that this leprosy was because of some sin that they had done. Does that square with our understanding of theology and human nature and and, and creation, though? That that sin would be that that leprosy would be always a result of their sin. It doesn't because some sicknesses are for the glory of God. So then why these offerings and whatnot about sin and atonement and all of that? Any thoughts on that? No, these are coming straight from the Lord. This is coming straight from the Lord. So, so any idea here why they're having to give? I'm going to go Mrs. Bailey first because her hand was up before you, before you spoke that. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, Mrs. Bailey, go ahead first. Well, all that cleaning was to restore worship. Yeah, that's a big part of it, is restoration to worship. So I'm glad you said that. What were you going to say? So, well, he hadn't been able, because he was a leper, he wasn't able to uh, participate in the sin offerings for the time of his sickness. Yeah, so all the time of his sickness, he was not able to perform his, his sacrifices. It, and one of the tragic things about leprosy is that in all ritual uncleanness in the Old Testament, ritual uncleanness, any sickness, there was a period of uncleanness. It's really interesting. I don't want to get into into too many. There's a lot of gory details in the book of Leviticus. Like the, the period of a woman's menstruation was a unclean period. All these other, like after childbirth, all there are all these physical things that would happen to a person. If you had a, a sore or if you had a sickness, any all these physical things that would happen would make you ceremonially un, ceremonially unclean. And you would not be able to you would not be able to be to worship in that day. So now he's been healed of his leprosy. He's been restored to his full ability to worship God. Therefore, trespass offerings are going to have to be made. He's reinitiating his worship. I think there's another dimension of it too, though. I think all of these uncleannesses, the, the leprosy uncleannesses, the injuries, the illnesses, all the uncleannesses you read about, they point to the deep problem of sin in humanity, right? In other words, these physical things that we deal with, though they may not be a specific punishment for sins that we've committed, right? Like my ankle is injured. Maybe it's because I spoke a crossword to my wife and then I fell on my ankle. It could have happened. That could be why I injured my ankle. Or it could be that I am a sinner just like you. And as a sinner, I'm in this world that is cursed, is broken, and sicknesses come. And it's not necessarily because of my specific sin, but 
when I have an injury, when I, it should remind me. It should remind me that I am human. But I'm not human in... I'm a broken human. Just like all of humanity is broken. Humanity is not... Like none of us, none of us are fully human. You understand what I mean by that? What do I mean when I say none of us are fully human? You're like, wait a minute, you're getting all weird in science fiction. Are we in the matrix here or what? But none of, what do I mean by that? Well, humanity wasn't created for this. Yeah. We were created for the Garden of Eden. We were created for the Garden of Eden. We were created for eternity. Like this body was not created to suffer. It wasn't. Like, I tell you, the best writer, Christian writer on, all, on this whole topic is far and away C.S. Lewis. You read C.S. Lewis in his classic Mere Christianity or in other of his writings, he talks about the fact that, that all, of the thing, all of the good things that we experience, that we enjoy, even the physical things of our body, they are reminders that we were created for a better life. It's not just that, it's not just that, okay, we get this life now and we get a better life. No, it's that right now, it's impossible for us to experience everything we've been created to experience. And the suffering is not, it's not fully human. It's the curse that's on humanity. And really, it's not that these lepers, it's not that this leper had done anything wrong. It's not that this leper had, had committed a, a, a sin and God is judging him. This leper, just like you and I, when we, when we deal with things physically, we're reminded that, that it's sin that's done this. It's the brokenness of humanity that's, that's caused this. And here, as, as Paul would say, creation is groaning. And it's only the Redeemer that's going to make all this right. And so Jesus, when he restores the leper, he is pointing to the day when the full leprosy of humanity will be healed. And mankind will be brought into perfect righteousness and a perfect state of worship. And he would symbolically take that blood from that animal and he put it on the right ear, symbolizing the blood of Jesus that would, would cleanse, fully cleanse us of all of our sins. And he would take the, the, the oil and put the oil on. And then he would take the rest of the oil and he'd anoint him, put it, put, um, picturing that coming day when we would be perfectly and completely anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just amazing. When you start to, that's why there's beauty in all of the ickiness of the book of Leviticus, because it's an icky book. I'm just saying it. It's like, you read that, you're not inspired. But when you put it in its context, and then you get the full picture of the gospel in Christ, it's really, there's great beauty because Leviticus and the ceremonial uncleanness that are revealed in there just show us, remind us, or that we relate to it in the ugliness of the world that we experience. And that's where, why when Jesus heals, really, go one last passage, go to Romans 5. Romans 5, and really, the Apostle Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to, to really give clarity to all of this. Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
By whom also we have what? Access. By whom also we have access. Just like the, the, the leper was unclean, he had no access to the temple worship, you and I, we are unclean in our sin, but by faith in Jesus, we're given access into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Those are difficulties, sufferings. The Bible has a lot to say about how we deal with suffering. It's not just a, I say this a lot, that Christianity doesn't just give us a Hallmark card view of life. Hey, don't worry about it. You know, put a big smile on. No, it says, it says tribulation, suffering is real, but as believers, we can glory in it. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. Hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he hath given us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. There's that word again, the atonement. Now here he explains the world we live in. In verse 12, whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. See how death passes upon men? We weren't created for death, but because of sin, death has passed over mankind, for all have sinned. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. We didn't, we didn't sin the same way as Adam, but we sinned with the same spirit. Who is the figure of him that was to come? But not as the offense, so is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, that's Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. Righteousness, the reign of grace. When Jesus healed this leper, it was an announcement that the reign of grace had come. 
that the laws of uncleanness had passed and that Jesus had come to make us eternally clean and to give us permanent access to the Father by faith in His blood. Amen? It's awesome. Awesome stuff. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that we've had time this morning to just reflect on your your glory and your righteousness. We thank you that you did not leave us lost, but you sent a Redeemer. We're thankful, Lord, for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, that promises our full and complete healing one day. So I pray that you would prepare our hearts now to worship you, that as we lift our voices in song in a few minutes, that we would um, just give, give glory and honor to your name. I pray that the preaching would... Uh, just magnify the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we leave here today truly truly knowing that we have glorified you and honored you. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's... We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you in our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.